Al-Bashir, your source of Islamic literature, presents Al-Akhirah, the afterlife, narrated by Imam Anwar Al-Awlaqi. Alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. The uh, Science of the Day of Judgment is a translation of Ashrat Sa'a, or Alamat Sa'a. Alamat Sa'a means the Science of the Day of Judgment. And these are indications or milestones in our path towards the Day of Judgment. The Day of Judgment itself, or a Sa'a, Sa'a means the hour. That's the literal translation of it, but it means the beginning of the Day of Judgment. That's a Sa'a. No one knows it but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not the Anbiya, no one knows it. The angels, this is ilm al-ghayb. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows when the Day of Judgment is. And that's why in the Hadith of Jibreel, the famous Hadith of Jibreel, when he came down and he asked Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Mata sa'a, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, أَمَّا الْمَسْؤُولُ عَنْهَا بِعَلَمَ مِنَ السَّائِلِ Rasulullah said, the one who is asked does not know any better than the one who is asking. Jibreel was asking Rasulullah, when is the hour? Rasulullah said, أَمَّا الْمَسْؤُولُ عَنْهَا بِعَلَمَ مِنَ السَّائِلِ The one who is asked does not know any better than the one who is asking. Meaning both of us don't know when the Day of Judgment is. So neither Jibreel nor Rasulullah knew when the Day of Judgment is. It's in the ilm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's ghayb. But... Rasulullah has told us many of its signs. And there are many signs. And in the area of the signs of the Day of Judgment, there are many strong hadith and there are many weak. It's one of the areas where you have to sift through the big load of books and hadith to extract the authentic. And it's a very laborious and difficult job. But uh, alhamdulillah, there was a book uh, that is written. There's a few books. There's a book uh, by Ibn Kathir where he listed the signs of the Day of Judgment. And there's uh, other scholars who have written on this topic. But there is a, uh, I think it's a master's uh, degree dissertation, or a PhD, Allah Alam, that was done on this topic of the signs of the Day of Judgment, uh, the authentic hadith of the signs of the Day of Judgment. As-Sahih min ashrat al-Sa'a, or As-Sahih min alamat al-Sa'a. The authentic hadith in the uh, signs of the Day of Judgment. It was done by a scholar named Yusuf al-Wabil. And that reference, I used it as a primary source for the signs of the Day of Judgment. And he used the authentic books of Ahadith to list these signs. And he has about more than 50 uh, signs of the Day of Judgment. There are some other books that list almost 100, but you know there might be some weak, weak Ahadith uh, in them. The first... Sign of the Day of Judgment. By the way, let me mention a few things before we start talking about the signs themselves. The signs of the Day of Judgment, some of them are actual or, or it's an actual event that can only happen once. And you would have accurate knowledge that it did happen. Like for example, Rasulullah ﷺ once said, uh, there will be a fire that will come out of Hijaz and the light of it will reach to a sham. And you would be able to see the necks of the camels at night. Now that's an actual event. And you would know when it happened. And it did happen. But then there are some other signs of the Day of Judgment that could happen more than once. Could happen many times. Or you think that it already happened while it didn't. For example, there's one sign that says, uh, one of the signs of the Day of Judgment, يكثر الحرج. There will be a lot of massacre and killing. This is a sign when you see the killing that is happening now in the Ummah, we might say that, wallahi, maybe this sign already happened. But you never know, it might even get worse. So there's some signs where it could happen to a certain extent in one time, but it didn't happen to the full extent. And some of them grow gradually. And there's some signs where, which are absolute opposites of each other. Like there's one sign that says that uh, peace will spread, and there's another sign that says that insecurity and conflicts would spread. So these are two different signs because they're contradicting each other. They can't happen at the same time. They must be happening on a different chronological order. The first sign of the Day of Judgment is the message of Rasulullah 
بِعْثَةُ النَّبِيِّ صلى الله عليه وسلم That's the first sign of the day of judgment. Because Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم says بُعِثْتُ أَنَا وَسَعَكَ هَاتَيْ Rasulullah says I was sent as close to the day of judgment like these two fingers are close to each other. Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم is telling us that compared to the life of humanity on the face of the earth he is so close to the day of judgment it's like these two fingers together. Rasulullah was saying that he's in the end of time. It's like he was in the afternoon of the day of humans on this, if we would examine that the life of human beings on the face of the earth is like a day, Rasulullah his messagehood was at afternoon. It's almost sunset. It's late afternoon. The sun is about to set. And this hadith is in Bukhari. Rasulullah says, That's the first sign. Second sign is the death of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In this hadith narrated by Al-Bukhari, يقول عوف بن مالك رضي الله عنه قال أتيت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في غزوة تبوك وهو في قبة من أدم فقال أعدد ستا بين يدي الساعة موتي عوف بن مالك said that Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم told me to count six signs before the day of judgment number one my death that's the first of these six signs which Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم mentioned to عوف and we'll talk about the other five the death of Rasulullah is a sign of the Day of Judgment. And it was the biggest disaster that afflicted the Muslim Ummah. In fact, there is a hadith Rasulullah says, whenever you are afflicted with a problem, then remember your problem in losing me, and your problem will be insignificant. If you ever suffer from a problem or a disaster or a catastrophe that happened in your life, then imagine that you're not really losing much because the greatest loss is the loss of Rasulullah and that will make you see your problem as insignificant and small. Anas ibn Malik anhu says, and this uh, saying of Anas ibn Malik is narrated by Tirmidhi, he says, when Rasulullah came to Medina, Medina was all light. Light was all over Medina. And when Rasulullah passed away, Medina was dark. And then he said, and as soon as we buried Rasulullah and the dirt of his grave is still on our hands, we felt that our hearts changed. Ankarna qulubana. He said, we felt the change in our hearts. So the mere presence of Rasulullah was meant something to them. And by Rasulullah just passing away, as soon as he passed away, they felt that something was missing from Medina. We didn't recognize our hearts anymore. Our hearts were different. Because the tuma'anina and the tranquility in the hearts was felt when Rasulullah was around. Even if they're not seeing Rasulullah, even if he's just in his house, they still felt something by him just being present with them. And as soon as he left them, they felt that something was missing. This is the second sign of the Day of Judgment. The third sign is the opening of Jerusalem. Fatu Bayt al-Maqdis. And this sign happened in the time of Amr ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu. Abu Ubaidah, Amr ibn al-Jarrah, was the leader of the army and he was surrounding Jerusalem. And Jerusalem had to surrender. They had no chance of fighting the Muslim army. Therefore, they sent a message telling Abu Ubaidah that we are willing to surrender and hand you over the keys to Jerusalem, but we want to give it to the Khalifa of the Muslims. This town is so important, we have to hand the keys to him. Umar ibn Khattab asked the Sahaba, he made shura, should I go out or should I stay? Some of the Sahaba said, no, you should stay in Medina, don't go out, it's dangerous for you. And some of the Sahaba said, go, tawakkal Allah, go, and inshallah it will be safe. Umar ibn Khattab went out, and we talked about this story of his before, just briefly. He went with his servant, and they were taking turns on the camel. Umar would ride for a while and then the servant would ride for a while and then they would give the camel time off. When Umar bin Khattab was approaching Jerusalem, it was his turn to pull the camel and it was the turn of his servant to ride the camel. And they passed next to a pool of mud. And Umar had to go through it, so he picked up his clothes and he crossed the mud and his feet were soaked with mud and his clothes. 
and he's walking out of this, climbing out of this pool of mud, dragging the camel, and this is happening in front of the people in Jerusalem, they're seeing this scene in front of their eyes. Abu Ubaidah, Amr ibn Jarrah, عنه, one of the Asharim Basharim bil Jannah, he felt that this is not appropriate, not because the leader should not be humble, no, but he felt that these people, the Romans, and the people living in that area, they have been living in a certain culture where they see that the leaders and the kings are surrounded with guards and they present themselves in a certain way. Uh, he felt it might not be appropriate for Umar al-Khattab to come like this because they might not uh, give him the respect that he deserves. When Umar al-Khattab deserves respect more than any other person on earth at that time. So he told Umar al-Khattab, he went to the Amir al-Mu'mineen and gave him a few suggestions. Umar al-Khattab hit him in his chest and said, I wouldn't expect this to come from you. And then he said, نحن قوم كنا أذلة فعزنا الله بالإسلام ونبتغينا العزة في غيره أذلنا الله عمر said we were people who were humiliated we were nothing and Allah honored us with Islam and if we seek honor any other way Allah will humiliate us meaning that our honor is not based on the uh, entourage and the motorcade and the security guards and the dress that uh, the clothes that we wear and the guards that surround us and those uh, extravagant scenes. That's not where our honor lies. Our honor is in Islam. It's not in the clothes that we wear. Because he was wearing a dress that had 14 patches in it. So he's teaching Abu Ubaidah a lesson and he's saying, forget about what they think. It doesn't matter what they think. Allah will put our honor in their hearts even if we don't present ourselves the way that they expect. And then he, he made it clear to Abu Ubaidah that if we try to honor ourselves with any superficial fashion, Allah will take away the honor from us. Because our honor is only in Islam. It's not in any other way. We don't have to be superficial and ceremonial. We are a simple people and Allah will give us honor through this religion. And subhanAllah, Umar ibn Khattab was right. When the people of Jerusalem saw him in that fashion, they started crying. And it says that the people were standing on the roofs of the houses uh, looking at this, they, because they hear about the name Amr al-Khattab and they never saw him before, they were expecting to see something and they saw something else. They saw the simplicity of Islam, they couldn't believe their eyes and they were crying. And they handed uh, Al-Khalifa, Amr al-Khattab, the keys of Jerusalem. Allah Alamut mentions, like in the book of Ibn Kathir, that they had in their books the signs of the one who will get the keys. And one of his signs is that he will have 14 patches in his clothes. That was mentioned in Ibn Kathir that this is one of the signs. And uh, the, uh, this sign of Bayt al-Maqdis is one of the six. And that hadith, as we mentioned, is in Bukhari. And then sign number four is, ثُمَّ مَوْتَانِ يَأْخُذَانِ فِيكُمْ مُوَتَانِ يَأْخُذُ فِيكُمْ كَقُعَاصِ الْغَنَمِ Rasulullah says, a death that will eat you away like a certain illness or disease that afflicts goats. And this is talking about At-Ta'un, the plague. And this plague occurred in the 18th year of Hijrah. And it happened in Asham, after the opening of Jerusalem. It just happened after the opening of Jerusalem, in Asham. And it was a major disaster for the Muslims. It was a great loss for the Ummah, because uh, more than 25,000 Muslims died in that plague. And among the well-known names is Abu Ubaidah. Abu Ubaidah died in that plague. Mu'az ibn Jabal died in that plague. Many of the Sahaba, many of the Sahaba, they died in that plague. For them, it's a blessing of Allah. Because Ta'un is a shahada. Ta'un is one form of shahada. Martyrdom. But it was a loss for the ummah to lose 25,000 just like that. And this is one of the signs of the Day of Judgment. The fifth sign the abundance of wealth. Rasulullah says, ثُمَّ اسْتِفَاضَةُ الْمَالِ حَتَّى يُعْطَى الرَّجُلُ مِئَةَ دِينَارٍ فَيَظَلُّ سَاخِطًا Rasulullah says that wealth will be so abundant, a man would be handed 100 dinar. A dinar is a small weight of gold. 100 dinar and they wouldn't be satisfied. What is this? You're giving me 100 dinar? It's nothing. There will be so much wealth. This happened to a certain extent in the time of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. 
also to a limited extent in the time of Umar ibn Khattab. In the time of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, there's a few stories. One of them is that the state of Africa, which was at that time North Africa, it was called Afriqiya. They sent an amount of money to the Khalifa in Medina. Umar ibn Khattab said, why are you sending me this money? Why is the state of Africa sending me this money? This money is supposed to be taken from the rich and given to the poor of the same area. In other words, the, the money doesn't go to the central government. It doesn't go to the federal government. It goes to the local government to be spent in the same area. They told Umar ibn Khattab that we didn't find any poor person to give this money to. Yeah, this is Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. Umar ibn Abdul Aziz said, then send it back to the state of Africa and use it to pave roads or to free slaves. And also in the time of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, the zakah of Yemen was, spent, was sent. And the same thing, he said, send it back. So there was an abundance of wealth because of the barakah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put blessing in their uh, rizq. But this could also refer to the end of time. And that is when there would be a true, truly an abundance of wealth all over the world. Rasulullah Sallallahu says, a time will come when a man would go out with zakah, with sadaqah, gold. Not paper money, gold. And would not find anyone to accept it. Imagine going around with gold, offering it to the people and nobody wants to take it. And this hadith is in Muslim. Because there will be so much abundance of wealth, people will have dignity, they wouldn't want to ask for any money. Everybody's satisfied, everybody's content. Because, I mean, you could find people now who have money, they would be willing to take a sadaqah of gold. But this hadith tells us two things. First of all, it tells us that the people are content and satisfied, they have enough money. It also tells us that the people are not greedy. Because there could be a person who's rich, but they would still take sadaqah if it's gold. And that time, there is also another hadith in, in Muslim that says that the earth taqi'ul ard, ذهب وفضة مثل الاستوانات. Rasulullah said the earth would vomit, literally vomit, columns of gold and silver, just gold and silver coming out of the earth. And the uh, the murderer would come and say, I killed people for this. Meaning in the past, I used to kill people for money. And the one who stole, the one, the thief will say, I used to steal for this. And the one who betrayed his family and cut his kinship would say, I betrayed and I fought my family for this. And then nobody will take it. They will say, we used to kill people for this. In the past, we used to kill people for this. We used to steal this. We used to fight our families for this money and now we're not going to take it. There's so much... Con- people are content in their heart, they're not taking that anymore. They would leave it. Allah alam, it might be also because they have suffered so much. Because there's another sign of the Day of Judgment that the river of Euphrates would uncover a mountain of gold and then Rasulullah says, if you see it, leave it alone because out of every hundred that go there, 99 will be killed. So much bloodshed occurred over money that in the end people will just give up. They will say, we don't want this anymore. It's causing us so much suffering and pain, we don't want it anymore. I killed people for that. I stole. I fought my family for that. I don't want it now. In another hadith, Rasulullah says, and this is a warning. This hadith is a warning for us. This is in Sayyid Muslim. Rasulullah says, I was given the keys of the treasures of the earth. I don't worry poverty. That's not my concern. I'm not concerned that you might be poor. Rasulullah said, my concern is that you would compete on this world and that would destroy you. That would destroy you. If, you. if we compete on the material gains of this world, that will destroy us. And Rasulullah said, I don't fear poverty. And whatever poverty we have in the ummah now, it's not because of lack of resources. Because the, the best that the world can offer is in the Muslim world. Whether we're talking about precious metals or oil or uh, agriculture, land. The problem is uh, unfair distribution, oppression. People are not giving out their zakah. People are not giving out sadaqah. That's the problem. So the poverty that we have is not due to lack of resources. It is because subhanAllah, if you would look at the world today, you would find that the dependency 
is not that much on resources. It is the human being who's the greatest asset. I mean, take a place like the Silicon Valley, for example. The Silicon Valley is a valley of dirt, of silicon. There's nothing in it. There used to be agriculture before, but not anymore, not that much. And it's the richest place on the face of the earth. There's so much money in that place. There's no oil beneath the surface. There's not so much agriculture in the area. There's no, there's no gold and silver beneath the surface. What is there? What is on it? It's human resources. It's the mines. And that is the biggest asset. Unfortunately, in the Muslim world now, we have a lot of resources, but we don't have the ability to make use of it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not give us barakah, blessing in our rizq, unless we follow the terms of sharia in business law. If we are cheating, if there is tatfif al-mizan, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not give blessing in the, rizq, in the rizq. Even if a person is wealthy, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not make the people benefit out of that wealth. Because a person could have money, but if the money does not have barakah, doesn't have the secret element in it, there is no good in that money. The sixth sign of the Day of Judgment is times of trials and tribulations. Al-Fitan. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says in the hadith narrated by Imam Muslim, عن أبي هريرة أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال بادروا بالأعمال فتن كقطع الليل المظلم يصبح الرجل مؤمنا ويمسي كافرا ويمسي مؤمنا ويصبح كافرا يبيع دينه بعرض من الدنيا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم says do good deeds before the times of trials and tribulations that are like darkness of the night رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم do the good deeds now because the time will come when it is so dangerous, the trials and tribulations and problems will be like pieces of dark night spreading all over. And then Rasulullah says, in those times, a man would be a believer in the morning, by night time, he's a disbeliever. And another person would be, another man would be a believer at night time, by the morning, they're a disbeliever. Why? Rasulullah says, they're selling their religion for a worldly benefit. The person is a believer, they have iman, but they sold this religion to make some money, to make a worldly gain. They gave it up. In another hadith, this is narrated by Imam Ahmad, عن النعمار بن بشير قال صاحبنا النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وسمعناه يقول إن بين يدي الساعة فتنا كأنها قطع الليل المظلم يصبح الرجل فيها مؤمنا ثم يمسي كافرا ويمسي مؤمنا ثم يصبح كافرا it is the same hadith, but the difference over here is that Al-Hasan al-Basri is giving an explanation to that hadith. He says, وَاللَّهِ لَقَدْ رَأَيْنَاهُمْ صُوَرًا وَلَا عَقُولٍ وَأَجْسَامًا وَلَا أَحْلَامٍ فَرَاشَ نَارٍ وَذُبَّانَ طَمَعٍ يَغْدُونَ بِدِرْهَمَيْنِ وَيَرُوحُونَ بِدِرْهَمَيْنِ يَبِيعُ أَحَدُهُمْ دِينَهُ بِثَمِنِ الْعَنْزِ Al-Hasan al-Basri says, in the name of Allah I have seen them. We have seen these people. He says, forms but no minds. Bodies without any conscious. Like moths attracted to a fire and flies attracted by greed. They would go for two dirhams and they would come back for two dirhams. A person would be willing to sell their religion for the price, the small price, the miser price of a goat. And then he said, their forms, you see bodies, but no minds, no conscience. They're willing to give up their religion for a very small price. Two dollars would send them out, two dollars would bring them back. You could attract a person, two dollars is enough to bring the person, two dollars is enough to send them away. Forms, without any mind, without any conscience. Willing to sell their religion for the price of al-anz, a goat. Al-Hasan al-Basr is saying this in the time of a tabi'in. I wonder what he would have said if you live today. There's another hadith, and this might be talking about a different time. Rasulullah says, فاكسروا قصيكم مقطعوا أوتاركم واضربوا بسيوفكم الحجارة فإن دخل على أحدكم بيته فليكن كخير ابن آدم رواه أحمد إمام أحمد نعرس this حديث is similar to the other one 
but it just says in the end, the one who is sitting is better than the one who is standing. And the one who is standing is better than the one who is walking. And the one who is walking is better than the one who is running. So break your bows and stay home. And if anybody enters into your home, then be like the best of the two sons of Adam. What does this mean? It means that it's better to stay away from those trials and tribulations. There will be a time when things will be so obscure, so mixed up, you cannot separate truth from falsehood. Everything is mixed. Everything is in the gray area. Rasulullah says, withdraw. Withdraw, stay away. And the one who's sitting down is better than the one who's standing. Meaning, you're sitting down, you're away from it, you're better than the one who's standing. And the one who's standing is better than the one who's walking. And the one who's walking is better than the one who's running. Meaning, don't involve. Have the least involvement. And stay home. And if somebody comes into your house, don't fight them. And be like the best of the two sons of Adam. What does that mean? Qabil and Habil. Qabil killed Habil. Habil said that if you extend your hand for it to kill me, I'm not going to fight back. And even though it promotes withdrawing out of the fitan, but this is talking about specific times. We should not stay home now and not do anything and say that we're following this hadith. This is talking about times when things are obscure and you cannot tell the difference between truth and falsehood. In terms of fitan, there are a lot of fitan that already happened and there are many fitan that did not happen. Rasulullah pointed to the east and said, the fitan come out from here. He pointed to the direction of the east. He was in Medina and he's pointing to the direction of the east and said, this is the source of fitan. And he said, that's where the horn of shaitan comes out. Evil. We find out that some of the greatest trials and tribulations, the source of them was from the east. We're talking about the east of Medina. That doesn't mean that all of the fitan come out from that area, but it means that that is the primary area of fitan. Because Rasulullah mentioned that there will be wars between you and the Romans and other areas of the world. That's not the only source of fitan. But if we look at some of the biggest trials that have caused the greatest problems to this ummah, we would find that that's where they started from, from the east. Examples of that, many of the deviant sects came out from the east. Political unrest was mostly coming from the direction of the east. And then at Tatar, the uh, Mongolians, and we know the fitna that was caused by at Tatar, the uh, Genghis Khan and the all of that Hulaku and Taymur Lenk, it all came from the east. Uh, at Dajjal, Rasulullah says he comes out from the east. And Ya'juj and Ma'juj, they also come out from the direction of the east. Some of the fitan that already uh, appeared, number one, the assassination of Uthman. And this was the beginning of the fitan. The assassination of Uthman was the first fitna and it opened the door. It opened the door of every fitna after it. There is a narration by Al-Bukhari of a conversation that happened between Hudayfa and Umar bin Khattab. Actually, Umar bin Khattab was in a meeting, was in a gathering with many of the Sahaba. And he asked them, who of you can tell me the hadith of the fitna? So Hudayfa said, I will, I can tell you the hadith of the fitna. And he mentioned to him some ahadith. That isn't what Umar wanted to hear. He was talking about another, another fitna. Fitna means trial or tribulation. He said, I'm not asking you about this. He said, I'm asking you about the trial that will move like the waves of the ocean. I'm asking about the big fitan that will move like the waves of the ocean. Hudayfa said, Hudayfa said, don't worry about it because between you and those trials is a closed door. He's telling Umar al-Khattab, you shouldn't worry about that because there's a door between you and those fitan. Umar al-Khattab asked Hudayfa, he told him, He said, will the door be opened or broken? Hudayfa said, it will be broken. Umar said, If it's broken, then it will never be locked again. If the door is broken, that means it's going to be broken for good. Look at the specific question. He said, is the, will, be, will it be broken or open? Because if you open the door, 
you could lock it. But if you break the door, that's it, it's open. The door is open. Hudayfa was mentioning this to some of the tabi'in. When Hudayfa finished, they asked him, did Umar ibn Khattab know who the door was? Hudayfa said, yes, he knew. Because I told him who was the door. And then Hudayfa left. They sent someone to go and ask Hudayfa who was the door. Hudayfa said, Umar was the door. Umar was a door between Fitan and this Ummah. In the time of Umar al-Khattab, there was peace and security and there was stability. There was no trials in the time of Umar. In the time of Umar, it was expansion. It was uh, stability. After Umar al-Khattab passed away, that's when the problem started. But as long as Umar was living, it was security in the Muslim Ummah. It was expansion. Things were getting better. After Umar ibn Khattab passed away, that's when the fitr started. Then Uthman ibn Affan became the Khalifa. Uthman ibn Affan was killed, was assassinated. The difference between the assassination of Umar and Uthman is that the assassination of Umar was done by a disbeliever. But the assassination of Uthman was done by people under the name of Islam. And that's why it opened the door of disunity. Because over there, in the case of Amr al-Khattab, it was an enemy of Islam. Over here, it's Muslims among themselves. Uthman ibn Affan was the Khalifa, and some issues happened during his Khilafah. And in the end, some Muslims gathered, and it was a fitna, and they surrounded his house. And they wanted him to give up Khilafah. They were asking him to step down. Uthman ibn Affan was told by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa إن الله مقمصك قميصا فإن سألك الناس أن تنزع فلا تنزع. Uthman remembers that Rasulullah told him, Allah will give you a cloak. If the people ask you to take it off, don't. Uthman had no idea what this meant. Allah is going to give you a cloak. And then the people are going to ask you to take it off. Rasulullah told him, if they ask you to take it off, don't take it off. He understood what it meant when the people were asking him to step down from Khilaf. This Khilafah, Allah has given it to him and the people are telling him to take it away, to give it up. So he refused. But in the same time, Uthman ibn Affan refused to fight them. So it was a difficult situation. Ali ibn Abi Talib, he and his sons, they were guarding Uthman ibn Affan and Ali told Uthman ibn Affan, give me your orders, we will fight them. Uthman ibn Affan said, لا أريد أن I don't want one drop of blood to be shed for my cause. I don't want any killing to happen to safeguard me. And he refused to allow Ali ibn Abi Talib to fight for him. He told Ali ibn Abi Talib, don't fight them. Ali ibn Abi Talib told his sons, Al-Hassan and Al-Hussein, to guard Uthman ibn Affan. But Uthman ibn Affan said that he doesn't want anybody to fight for him. Eventually they came in, the, these people, they were in thousands. They were surrounding, they were in Medina and they were surrounding the house of Al-Khalifa and then in the end they came in and they killed Uthman ibn Affan. They killed the Khalifa and that, that opened the injury and caused the fitan after that. And Rasulullah did mention that Uthman ibn Affan will die as a shaheed. Rasulullah was with Abu Bakr, Umar and Uthman on the mountain of Uhud. So the mountain shook. The mountain was shaking. It was a, an earthquake. Rasulullah said, Uthbat Uhud, fa'innama alayka nabiyun wa siddiqun wa shahidayn. Rasulullah told the mountain, stay stable. Don't move. Because on top of you is a prophet and a siddiq and two shaheeds, two martyrs in the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rasulullah and Abu Bakr and Uthman and Umar. The next fitna that happened after that was the battle of Al-Jamal. When Uthman ibn Affan was killed, there was no Khalifa. Some of the Muslims, they came to Ali ibn Abi Talib and said, they said, we will give you bay'ah of Khilafah. Ali ibn Abi Talib said, no, don't give me bay'ah until the Muslims make a shura and then they decide. They told Ali ibn Abi Talib that, you know that Uthman was killed and there is a fitna and the killers of Uthman are going to spread all over and the problem will get bigger. It's going to take a while until the ummah makes shura. Therefore, you must be the Khalifa. And they insisted on Ali ibn Abi Talib. He refused in the beginning. He said, let the Muslims make shura. But they insisted on him, and in the end, he agreed. They told him, we have to have a leader. 
We have to have somebody to go and uh, bring the Muslims together again. They gave Ali ibn Abi Talib bay'ah. As Zubair and Talha gave Ali ibn Abi Talib bay'ah also. What happened is that the killers of Uthman, they infiltrated the army of Ali ibn Abi Talib. And they were in hundreds, maybe in thousands. Talha and Zubair and Aisha radiallahu anha, they wanted the killers of Uthman to be brought to justice. And because the killers of Uthman infiltrated the army of Ali ibn Abi Talib, they went to Ali ibn Abi Talib and they told them, we have to set a court for the ones who killed the Khalifa. Ali ibn Abi Talib refused. And he said, حَتَّى يُطَّالِبْ أَوْلِيَاءَهُ بِدَمِهِ He said, the awliya of Uthman have to come forth and ask for his revenge. And the awliya are the closest relatives of the deceased. In the Islamic Sharia, if somebody is killed, is murdered, then his closest relatives are the ones who ask for justice. And because they have the decision of either asking for execution or accepting the financial compensation. Who makes that decision? It's not the court. It's the family of the deceased, al-awliya. Because if somebody was murdered intentionally, then the murderer is either executed or the murderer pays a dia, compensation. Who makes the decision whether he's executed or financial compensation, it is the relatives of the deceased. So Ali ibn Abi Talib said, I'm waiting for the relatives of the deceased to come forth. As Zubair and Talha and Aisha, they agreed with Ali ibn Abi Talib. Things were, at that point, things were fine. It was night time. Some of these killers of Uthman who were in the army of Ali, they attacked at night. They attacked the army of Talha, Zubair and Aisha. Now Talha and Zubair and Aisha, they did not come out for fighting. They came out in a big army, but they came out to ask for justice. These men who killed Uthman and were infiltrating the army of Ali, they attacked at night time. As Zubair and Talha thought that Ali ibn Abi Talib attacked. And that's how fighting started. And then in the end, it settled after that. It was a very brief fight. But in the end, Ali ibn Abi Talib was able to convince them that he didn't attack and that he is right in his opinion and they agreed. Ali ibn Abi Talib was once told by Rasulullah that something will happen between you and Aisha. سيكون بينك وبين عائشة شيئا. Rasulullah told Ali ibn Abi Talib something will happen between you and Aisha. And this is uh, narrated by uh, Imam Ahmed. Ali ibn Abi Talib said between me and Aisha, Rasulullah said yes. Ali said إذن أنا أشقاهم. He said them I am the most unfortunate of people. Something happens between me and the mother of the believers Aisha I must be a very unfortunate person. Rasulullah said no. And then Rasulullah said, and when that happens, then take her back to safety. Ali ibn Talib went to Aisha, and he is the one who ordered some of his army soldiers to accompany her back to Medina to safety. And this was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Rasulullah. And Abi Rafa' أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لعلي بن أبي طالب إنه سيكون بينك وبين عائشة أمر قال أنا يا رسول الله قال نعم قال أنا قال نعم قال فأنا أشقاهم يا رسول الله قال لا ولكن إذا كان ذلك فرددها إلى مأمنها After the battle of Al-Jamal the next fitna was معركة صفين the battle of صفين this was a big fitna and رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم that in a hadith narrated by Al-Bukhari and Muslim حديث متفق عليه يقول الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم لا تقوم الساعة حتى تقتتل فئتان عظيمتان وتكون بينهما مقتلة عظيمة ودعواهما واحدة رسول صلى الله عليه وسلم says there will be a war between two big armies of Muslims and they're fighting for the same cause both of them they want the same thing but they're still fighting and this is a contradiction how could you fight for the same reason Usually you would fight for different reasons. Over here they're fighting for the same cause. They both want the same thing. Nevertheless, they're still fighting. The interpretation of this is following. As I mentioned to you that the killers of Uthman, the murderers of Uthman were in the army of Ali. And they were in, in thousands. Muawiyah was the wali of Uthman. Muawiyah was the relative of Uthman. So he was the one who has the authority to ask for justice in the case of Uthman. It's Muawiyah. Because Muawiyah is a relative of Uthman. He's the wali. He has the authority 
of asking for the murderers of Uthman to be brought to justice. He asked Ali ibn Abi Talib to hand them over. Hand me over to the ones who killed my cousin. Ali ibn Abi Talib said, I will, but I need to establish my authority first. These are hundreds. The ones who killed Uthman are in hundreds. I cannot just hand them over like that. A big battle, a big fitna will happen. You have to give me bay'ah first. Everyone in the ummah has to give me bay'ah first, that I'm the khalifa. And when I have the authority, when I have the authority given to me by the Muslims, then I will hand them over. But I can't hand them over now and I don't have any authority in my hands. Because you did not give me bay'ah yet. Muawiyah said, no, I will not give you bay'ah until you hand them over. So Muawiyah is asking for the blood of Uthman and Ali ibn Abi Talib is willing to take them to justice. But the difference here is that Muawiyah wants Ali to hand them first. Ali wants Muawiyah to give him bay'ah first. The right side obviously was Ali ibn Abi Talib. Ali ibn Abi Talib had the right justification. Muawiyah made an ijtihad and it was a wrong ijtihad. He is still the Sahabi of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa He is one of Katabat al-Wahi, the ones who used to write down revelation. He is one of the ones whom Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa entrusted with writing down Quran. And he is the brother-in-law of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Because Rasulullah is married to his sister, Umma Habiba. Umma Habiba is the sister of Muawiyah. Umma Habiba bint Abi Sufyan. So he is the brother-in-law of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa but the right side, the ones who were on the right track, was obviously the army of Ali ibn Abi Talib. And there is an indication of that. Rasulullah is telling Ammar ibn Yasir, Rasulullah told Ammar ibn Yasir, you will be killed by the transgressing side. Ammar ibn Yasir was fighting in the army of Ali and he was killed by the army of Muawiyah. He was killed by the transgressing side. But we cannot accuse Muawiyah because Rasulullah sallallahu said, Rasulullah said, two groups of Muslims will fight each other. So Rasulullah called both armies Muslims. The army of Ali and the army of Muawiyah, they are both Muslims fighting each other. And this hadith is in Bukhari and Muslim. The next fitna was the fitna of al-Khawarij. When Ali and Muawiyah fought, Ali had the upper hand. And the army of Muawiyah was losing. Muawiyah surrendered. And the way they surrendered is they, they put al-Musahif, Mus'haf is the Qur'an, they put it on top of their swords. So they raised up the Musahif. They raised up the Qur'an on their swords. Ali ibn Abi Talib, when he saw that, he quit fighting. They raised the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they surrendered, we're gonna stop fighting them. There were people in the army of Ali who were benefiting from war and bloodshed. They wanted this unity in the ummah. They didn't want the fighting to stop. They wanted this war to continue. Just like they caused this battle between Ali and Zubair and Talha, they wanted war to continue with Ali and Muawiyah. And these were some of the uh, leaders of some of the tribes who were benefiting from this bloodshed. And they were the ones who were inflaming this, this problem. They were exaggerating it and they were causing it and they were, and, and they existed on both sides. These are people who benefiting from, were benefiting from bloodshed among Muslims. They said, how can Ali ibn Abi Talib give up? This is the hukm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ali is putting the opinion of men over the order of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The hukm of Allah, the order of Allah is that we should fight them. But Ali ibn Abi Talib, has given precedence to the opinion of men over the order of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they accused Ali ibn Abi Talib in the beginning of making a mistake and then they accused him of kufr. And they accused obviously Muawiyah and Amr ibn al-As with kufr earlier. And they broke out from the army of Ali ibn Abi Talib and that's where they got the name Khawarij. Khawarij means people who broke off. The Khawarij are the ones who broke off. They broke off from the army of Ali ibn Abi Talib. Ali ibn Abi Talib sent Abdullah ibn Abbas to have a dialogue with them. Abdullah ibn Abbas succeeded in convincing 4,000 to come back. 
And this was the beginning of the formation of the sect of Al-Khawarij. Their lineage, the source of Al-Khawarij, existed in the time of Rasulullah The major characteristic of Al-Khawarij is extremism. And that existed with some of the people in the time of Rasulullah There's a hadith narrated in Bukhari. عن أبي سعيد الخدري رضي الله عنه قال بينما نحن عند رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو يقسم قسما أتاه ذو الخويصرة وهو رجل من بني تميم فقال يا رسول الله اعدل أبو سعيد الخدري says that when Rasulullah was dividing the booties of war there's a man from Bani Tamim his name is ذو الخويصرة he came to Rasulullah with pride and arrogance and he's telling Rasulullah be just Look at the rudeness of this man. He's coming to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and is ordering him to be just. I'dil, be just. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, وَيْلَكْ وَمَنْ يَعْدِلُ إِذَا لَمْ أَعْدِلْ قَدْ خِبْتُ وَخَسِرْتْ إِنْ لَمْ أَكُنْ أَعْدِلْ Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, Woe to you! Who could do justice if I did not? I would be a desperate loser if I did not do justice. You're telling me to be just? The Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if I'm not just, who will be just? Umar ibn al-Khattab said, Da'ani adhrib unqa. Let me chop off his head. Rasulullah sallallahu told him, قَالَ دَعْهُ فَإِنَّ لَهُ أَصْحَابًا يَحْقِرُ أَحَدُكُمْ صَلَاتَهُ مَعَ صَلَاتِهِمْ وَصِيَامَهُ مَعَ صِيَامِهِمْ يَقْرَأُونَ الْقُرْآنَ لَا يُجَاوِزُ تَرَاقِيَهُمْ يَمْرُقُونَ مِنَ الدِّينِ كَمَا يَمْرُقُ السَّهْمُ مِنَ الرَّمِيَةِ ينظر إلى نصله فلا يوجد فيه شيء ثم ينظر إلى رصافه فما يوجد فيه شيء ثم ينظر إلى نضيه وهو قدحه فلا يوجد فيه شيء ثم ينظر إلى قذذه فلا يوجد فيه شيء قد سبق الفرث والدم آيتهم رجل أسود إحدى عضديه مثل ثدي المرأة أو مثل أو مثل البضعة تدردر ويخرجون على حين فرقة من الناس رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم told عمر بن الخطاب leave him alone he will have followers or descendants إن الله أصحابا companions whom you would see your prayer compared to theirs as insignificant. And your fasting compared to theirs as insignificant. Rasulullah is saying that they would worship Allah so much that the Sahaba, their salah compared to the salah of these khawarij will be nothing. And the fasting of the Sahaba would be less than their fasting. From the outside, they seem to be very righteous. They pray so much and they fast so much. Rasulullah said, يَقْرَوْنَ الْقُرْآنَ لَا يُجَاوزُ تَرَاقِيَهُمْ they read Qur'an, but it doesn't go past their throats. Meaning that Qur'an has no application in their life. It's just words that, coming out, that are coming out from the throat. But in, in the inside, there's no Qur'an. You hear Qur'an, but there's no Qur'an in the mind. There's no Qur'an in the heart. And then Rasulullah said, they would leave religion like the arrow would leave the target. Sometimes, if you shoot a target, if the shot is, the arrow is so strong, and it hits the target with a powerful strength, what will happen is the arrow would leave the target so fast you wouldn't even notice it. It went so fast it didn't even pick up any blood. That means that they would leave the religion so fast and so swift you wouldn't even notice it. They're so fast in leaving the religion because of their extreme positions. You see them, they're praying, they're fasting, they're doing very well in ibadah, but they have already left the religion a long time ago, you didn't even know about it. You will see from the outside a lot of righteousness, but from the inside, it's rigid and it's like a solid rock. And Rasulullah was telling Umar bin Khattab that the sources of this were people like Al-Khwaisra. Al-Khwaisra, did you see the pride and arrogance and the extremism in his mind? The roughness and the rudeness? That is the source of the sect of Al-Khawarij. Now, these same people are the ones who killed Uthman. They're the same people. They didn't have the name Khawarijat, but they were the ones who killed Uthman. And they were the ones who caused the fight between Ali and Zubair and Talha. And they are the ones who were forcing the war between Ali ibn Abi Talib and Muawiyah. And when they saw peace, they broke off. When they saw bloodshed, they participated and joined. When they saw blood. But when they saw peace among the Muslims, they didn't like it. And they wanted bloodshed to continue. And they broke off. Now how do we know that these people who broke off of the army of Ali ibn Abi Talib are the ones Rasulullah is talking about that they would leave the religion? Rasulullah, uh, he gave us a sign. And it's in this hadith, narrated by Al-Bukhari. Abu Sa'id Al-Khudri says that Rasulullah described that one of them would be a dark man. One of his arms is like a breast of a woman. Meaning there's no bone in his arm. 
It looks like a breast of a woman. Abu Sa'id said, I was one of the ones who were fighting on the side of Ali ibn Abi Talib against Al-Khawarij. Because Ali ibn Abi Talib went to them, he went to Al-Khawarij and tried to convince them. They refused. They said, you have betrayed the order of Allah. Ali ibn Abi Talib said, then I would give you three things. I would not prevent you from praying in our masajid. You can pray with us if you want to. And I will give you your share of al-fayt, the booties of war and the money of the Muslim ummah. When it is split among the Muslims, I will give you your share. Look at the forgiveness of Ali ibn Abi Talib. I will not forget you in your share. You will get your share. And number three, I will leave you alone as long as you leave the Muslims alone. But they didn't leave the Muslims alone. The son of Khabab ibn al-Arat, the Sahabi of Rasulullah his son and his wife were traveling in Iraq. Al-Khawarij, they stopped him. They had checkpoints. They stopped him. And they said, who are you? He identified himself as the son of the Sahabi, the companion of Rasulullah Khabab al-Arat. They asked him, whose side are you with? Are you with us or against us? He said, I'm not against you, but I'm, I'm with the truth. They killed him. His wife was pregnant. They opened up her stomach and they pulled out the fetus and they killed her. After that, Ali ibn Abi Talib started war. That was the beginning of war between Ali ibn Abi Talib and them. Because the deal was that as long as you leave the Muslims alone, I'm going to leave you alone. But after that, that execution of the son of the Sahabi of Rasulullah and the, and the brutal way of killing his wife, Ali ibn Abi Talib waged war against him. In the battle of Nahrawan, Ali ibn Abi Talib defeated them. And he killed many of them. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri said, I was one of the soldiers of Ali ibn Abi Talib. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, the companion of Rasulullah who narrated this hadith. He said, Ali ibn Abi Talib told us to go and search for this man whom Rasulullah described. He said, I went and I saw him with my own eyes. And he had the exact descriptions of Rasulullah and he was laying with the dead. And that is a sign that Rasulullah was talking about these particular people. And Ali ibn Abi Talib says uh, about them that there is a great reward for the one who kills them. And Rasulullah said, if I live until that time, I would kill them like the people of Ad were killed. I mean, complete elimination. Because the people of Ad were eliminated. Rasulullah said, I would kill them like the people of Ad were eliminated. Why? Because such a mentality... There's no way you could deal with except through elimination. Complete elimination. There's no way you could deal with this extremism in thought by reason. You cannot reason with them. These are people who are bloodthirsty. They want bloodshed. They're not going to settle for peace. How can you deal with them? Rasulullah said, that, therefore there's a great reward in getting rid of them. Because if you leave them alone, they're not going to leave you alone. And they're going to cause fitna in the ummah. Therefore the only way to deal with them is by elimination of their fitna. And subhanAllah, they have caused the Muslim ummah so much problem and so much fitna because of them. I mean, uh, some of the biggest fitna that happened in the ummah were, was caused by al-Khawarij. And it's a contradiction. SubhanAllah, and the, uh, the muhaddithin say, the scholars of hadith say, that we have never found anyone of the Khawarij who, have, who has ever lied on Rasulullah They never fabricated the hadith. You find many of Ahl-Sunnah, they fabricated the hadith. Lies. But with al-Khawarij, they never lie. They're very sincere and truthful, but their minds are very, uh, subhanAllah, stubborn, and they don't mind killing. They don't mind killing. Now, the fitna of Khawarij is not something that was temporary to that era. Rasulullah says that their fitna will continue. Whenever one generation of them leaves, another generation will come up again until the time of a Dajjal. Rasulullah says that their fitna will continue whenever one generation of them leaves. What does that mean? Rasulullah did not say it's a linear continuation. Rasulullah said one generation would leave and then another generation will come up. Why? They cannot continue. Because they end up fighting among themselves. And they destroy themselves. And they kill each other out. Or they are killed by outside forces. But extremism then comes up in the minds of different people. And a new generation comes out. And then they fight and they cause bloodshed until they are eliminated. And then they come out in another place. So it's not a linear continuation where one generation is teaching the next. Because they cannot agree with each other. They end up fighting each other. We have a saying in Yemen that 
he did not find anybody to disagree with, he disagreed with his own feet. You don't find anybody in front of you to disagree with, you end up disagreeing with your own self. That's the mentality that they have. They have to make trouble. They have to fight with someone. And that's why Rasulullah says, One generation would be followed by another. And Ibn Umar, and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi تراقيهم كلما خرج قرن قطع قال ابن عمر سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول كلما خرج قرن قطع أكثر من عشرين مرة حتى يخرج في عراضهم الدجال This hadith is by Ibn Majah Abdullah ibn Umar says I heard Rasulullah say whenever one generation of them comes out it will be amputated and then another generation will come out and it will be amputated Abdullah ibn Umar said Rasulullah repeated it more than 20 times and then in the end he said until Dajjal will come out so one generation will come out, it will be amputated. Either outside forces will amputate them or they would amputate each other. And then another generation will come out and it will be amputated and so on and so forth. And uh, Abdullah ibn Umar used to consider them the most evil of people. وَكَانَ ابْنَ عُمَرْ يَرَاهُمْ شِرَارَ خَلْقِ اللَّهِ وَقَالَ إِنَّهُمْ انطَلَقُوا إِلَىٰ آيَاتٍ نَزَلَتْ فِي الْكُفَّارِ فَجَعَلُوهَا عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Abdullah ibn Umar says that they are the worst of people because they took the ayat referring to the non-believers and they applied them on the believers. They made takfir of the people. They accused the Muslims of disbelief. They took the ayat of Qur'an, which were describing the non-believers, and they applied it on the Muslims. They're very easy in accusing people of disbelief. That is their major characteristic, is that it's very simple for them to accuse someone or the Muslims of disbelief and kufr. Uh, the next fitna is the death of Al-Hussein. Ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu anhu. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was once presented with red dirt. Jibreel alayhi salam presented Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with red dirt, clay. And Jibreel told Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that your son, your grandson, Hussein will be killed. And this is the dirt of the area he will be killed in. He gave him a little bit of that dirt. Al-Hussein ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib was killed in Karbula. Al-Hussein ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib, when his father was killed, he was given bay'ah. And after Al-Hassan, it was Al-Hussein. Al-Hassan was for six months, and then he gave it up, and then, and then after that, Al-Hussein. Al-Hussein ibn Ali, and some tribes of Iraq who promised him support, and a large group of Ahl al-Bayt, relatives, his relatives from the household of Rasulullah they fought with the army of Bani Umayyah and these tribes which promised them support they betrayed them, in the end it was Al-Husayn ibn Ali and his relatives from Ahl al-Bayt and they fought until the last person and they were all killed in the end and it was a big bloodshed of the family of Rasulullah and this is a dark point in the history of the Ummah that the Ummah would do this to the family of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And that is obviously one of the biggest fitan that happened. It happened in the time of Yazid bin Muawiyah. Also Yazid, he committed another massacre in Medina, Ma'arakat al-Harra, where he attacked Medina and he committed bloodshed for days and he killed many of the descendants of Al-Ansar radiallahu anhum and from Al-Ansar. And uh, Rasulullah said that he saw that rain, the rain of trials, of, of trouble, was falling on the houses of Medina. And this was a bloodshed that happened in Medina. Both of these massacres, bloodsheds, happened in the time of Yazid ibn, ibn Muawiyah, in the time of his Khilafah. Sign number seven is the false prophets. The false prophets. Rasulullah says, عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنهم عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لا تقوم الساعة حتى يقتتل فئتان فيكون بينهما مقتلة عظيمة دعواهما واحدة ولا تقوم الساعة حتى يبعث دجالون كذابون قريبا من الثلاثين كلهم يزعم أنه رسول الله رواه البخاري رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم says that the day of judgment will not occur until thirty False prophets arise, every one of them is claiming that he is a messenger. If we would sum up all of the people who claim to be prophets in this ummah, we would find that they're more than 30. In the 1400 years that passed, they're more than 30. 
But Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa in this hadith is talking about, and this tafsir was also given by Shurrah al-Hadith, the explainers of the hadith. They say this is talking about the false prophets who end up having a sizable following and become famous and well-known. But the crazy people here and there who every day you find somebody, some of them claiming to be prophets, this is not talking about them. This is talking about people who had a sizable following and they became famous and they had, they formed a sect or they had a group following them. Among the most famous of these are two false prophets who claim to be prophets in the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And these two were Musaylam al-Kadhab in al-Yamama, Bani Hanifa, and al-Aswad al-Ansi in Sun'a in Yemen. These two are the first. And this happened towards the end of the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Musaylam al-Kadhab was from the Bedouins of Banu Hanifa. This is a big tribe who live in the area of Al-Yamama in Arabia. And he was playing on the tribalism tone. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa is from Quraysh. I am from Banu Hanifa. They are from Al-Hadar. We are from Ahl Al-Madar. They are from the urban, from the city dwellers. We are the rural people. So he was playing on those nationalism issues. And you find that these false prophets, they always try to use deceptive ways to attract the people. This man, Musaylam al-Kadhab, he used this because he knew that the hearts of the people, they still had nationalism in their hearts, so he played on that. And one of his big followers, actually his right-hand supporter, he used to say clearly, Kadhab Bani Hanifa, Khairun min Sadiq Quraysh. He used to say that the liar of Bani Hanifa is better than the, tru- the truthful of Quraysh. That the liar of, but he's from my people, is better than the true man, Muhammad sallallahu who's from Quraysh. Many of them knew that he's lying. Because his Quran was funny. And subhanAllah, this is a miracle. That you would find people who are intelligent and are very good in poems and poetry. But whenever they try to imitate Quran, the product is miserable and funny. When they try to imitate Qur'an, subhanAllah, they come up with something that is unbelievable. Abu al-Ala al-Ma'arri, he was one of the most well-known and famous Arab poets. He was a blind man. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him such an ability in an eloquence and language. He's one of the most famous poets in the history of the Arabic language. They said that for a while he sat down to produce a Qur'an. He had this ego issue. He was a very proud person. He had such an ego and he was an arrogant personality. He thought that he could compete with the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so he sat down in his home for a long time trying to produce a Qur'an. After a while, they saw that he was ignoring that project. The people were asking him, where is the Qur'an that you promised? He said, forget about it. I, I buried it. I couldn't do it. Musaylam al-Kadhab, even though his Qur'an was miserable and funny, he had such a huge following. Hundreds of thousands of people followed him. Huge following. And it was a big fitna. And his fitna was not uh, extinguished until the time of Abu Bakr, as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. And that was one of the worst battles that the Muslims had to confront. Many, many of the Muslims died in that battle to the extent that tens of Hafaz were being killed. Tens of Hafaz of memorizers of Quran were being massacred and killed. And that's how the process of collecting Quran, gathering Quran started. And that's when Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, he started with the project of combining Qur'an, bringing Qur'an, the Mus'haf, together. And then the project was completed in the time of Uthman. And the famous battle of uh, Al-Hadiqah, that is when Musayn al-Kadhab was eventually killed. Rasulullah saw a dream where he was wearing two bracelets of gold. Fa'ahamani, I was concerned. And then Allah told me to blow on them, so I blew on them and they flew away. They asked Rasulullah what is the ta'wil, what is the interpretation of that dream? He said, I interpreted the two liars who will come out in my ummah. And this is talking about Musaylama and Al-Aswad Al-Ansi. So Musaylama was killed. He got married to a woman named Sajah who claimed to be a prophet too. This woman, she claimed to be a prophet. She had a certain following. Musaylama had a certain following. They decided for political reasons to marry and to come together. It was a political marriage. And they married, 
each other. When Musaylima was killed, she found out that this prophethood thing is not giving her any advances, so she forgot about it and she became a Muslim again. Uh, Al-Aswad Al-Ansi, he was killed by a man named Fayrouz in Yemen. They assassinated him. Actually, they went into his palace and they assassinated him. And that was the end of Al-Aswad Al-Ansi. And then we have Tulayha Al-Azdi. Tulayha Al-Azdi also claimed to be a prophet, but he gave up this claim and he became a Muslim. And they say, Hasuna Islamu. His Islam was fine after that. This is Tulayha Al-Azdi. And Allah Alam, if it was Tulayha or Musaylama, uh, one of them, whenever they would ask him to read Quran, he would be talking about ayat that are describing food. Too much description of food. So then they told him, They told him, we don't know if the angel is revealing to your heart or revealing to your stomach. All of the ayat are talking about food. They told him, we don't know where the angel is speaking to. Maybe he's speaking to your stomach. And then Al-Mukhtar ibn Ubaid al-Thaqafi, he also claimed to be a prophet. And in the modern times, we have uh, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, who claimed to be a prophet. Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, he's the founder of Al-Qadjaniya. He claimed to be a prophet. And he can count him as one of the 30, because he had a sizable following. It's a serious, it's a serious movement. He has a, quite a big following, and it's a big fitna. It's a big fitna, the fitna of Al-Qadjaniya. And his uh, kufr, not only by the standards of Sharia, but also, alhamdulillah, politically in Pakistan, it has been, there has been a law that states that it is not a form of Islam, officially. For further information, please contact Al-Bashir Publications and Translations at 1-877-745-3333. Or 303-574-0095. Our fax number is 303-373-0943. Or visit our website at www.albashir.com. That's www.al-b-a-s-h-e-e-r.com. You can also write to our address at 10515 East 40th Avenue, Suite 108, Denver, Colorado, 80239-3264. Please proceed to the next CD.